We are in week two of our series, which is looking at the letters of John. So if you want to follow along, it's in the Bible, and it's right down the back of the Bible, just before Revelation. It's the three little books before that. Um, and we're reading in, we've, we've had a look at 1 John chapter 1 last week, and we're just going to take our time and work our way through these letters because as I said last week and as I want to express again today, John writes in a very deep, meaningful um, way. He packs a lot in, in just a few words. They're dense theologically, not as in dense that, you know, duh, but dense as in packed in together. Isn't it strange when we use words that, we, that have got double meanings? Um, they are rich theologically. That's a better way of putting it, isn't it, than dense? Much better. This second chapter of 1 John can be seen as, as basically an in-depth defence against false teaching that had been coming through the church at that time. Um, this false teaching was actually a, an early form of Gnosticism. Now, Gnosticism... What a great word, Gnosticism, isn't it? You know, um, did you know that Gnosticism actually comes from the Greek, the Greek word gnosis, which means to know? And so, therefore, this Gnosticism was actually claiming that certain individuals, elite individuals, had special knowledge of God. And they asserted that they, because they possessed that special knowledge and... and that that meant they knew God better and not was, it wasn't things that were found in the Holy Scriptures that they had at that time. They weren't found in the letters to the churches. They weren't found in the teachings of Jesus. They were founded elsewhere in their special knowledge. So what John is, is wanting to do for the church is to prepare and combat this rise of Gnosticism as it was starting to appear. See, John moves on from his opening comments in chapter 1 about being in fellowship with God and in fellowship with other believers. And he moves straight on to what it means to be actually in genuine fellowship with God and how we can actually see that genuine fellowship. How do we know that somebody is genuine in their fellowship with God and not claiming to have this special knowledge and pulling people away from God? It comes through three different behaviours or actions that we see that John explores and helps us today. So today I actually want to explore two of those. And next week we're going to round out these these actions that are defence against um, Gnosticism, this special knowledge, defence against heresy, those kind of things. I'll round that out next week. But today I just want to share with, with you two of them. So we're going to dive into the Bible, 1 John chapter 2, and we're going to start from verse 1. But what we're going to do is we're actually going to understand that in this first section that I'm going to read for you, Genuine fellowship with God can be seen in obedience. So let me say that again. The concept that John is trying to get across to the believers right now 
is that you will know that someone is genuine in their fellowship of God because of their obedience to God's commands and God's word. So let's hear what what 1 John chapter 2 has to say. And we'll put it on the screens for you as well. My dear children, I am writing this to you so that you will not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate who pleads our case before the Father. He is Jesus Christ, the one who is truly righteous. He himself is the sacrifice that atones for our sins, and not only our sins, but the sins of all the world. And we can be sure that we know him if we obey his commands. If someone claims, I know God, but doesn't obey God's commands, that person is a liar and is not living in the truth. But those who obey God's word truly show how completely they love him. That is how we know we are living in him. Those who say they live in God should live their lives as Jesus did. So we're going to stop just there. We're going to stop just after verse 6. See, John starts here in verse 1 and 2 of this, this chapter. And he wants to make certain that people who are reading this letter, actually understand the purpose that he is writing, the purpose that Jesus came, the purpose of the church. And the reason why he's giving a defence against false teaching. See, John is, is writing here and he's stating that the reason he's writing is so that we will not sin. He's trying to defend against us sinning. Help us to stop doing things that are against God's will and God's plan for our lives. He, he writes it not in the past tense. This is back for when you did sin. This is writing it to help you in future times, here and now and on to the future. It's helping us change our behaviour to help us stop sinning. But he also says and gives us the reassurance and the comfort that even if we have sinned, even if we will sin, even if we try our hardest to not sin and not do the things against God's will, and we do, but we actually have reassurance that our sins will be forgiven and that our sins are forgiven. Because Jesus has atoned for all of the sins, not just for us, but for all of the world. He's paid the price already. It's not what we have to do. It's not the actions that we have to go into. It's already been paid. It's there for us. It's when we come to the third verse in this chapter, in John 1, chapter 2, verse 3, that we first see the, the, the first principle, the first test, the first behaviour of a genuine believer who is in fellowship with God. And what do we see in this? We see that it is about obedience, obedience to God, because obeying God's command found in the Bible is being obedient. And it says, and we can be sure that we know him if we do what? What's it say? If we obey, if we obey his commands, it's actually about being obedient. It's actually following on. It's, it's not, it's not an in-your-mind kind of thing. It's actually your life, changing your life. 
Not only does he say that you have to obey, then he starts to go on and give the proof to this principle. And I love how he puts this. Because if we're looking into this, you know, and he says, if, if, if someone claims, so if someone's claiming to know God, you know, that knowledge, that gnosis, that, that Gnostic understanding, if someone's claiming to know God, but they actually don't obey God's commands, so they, don't, they know God, but they're, saying, but they're not actually following through with his commands found in the scriptures and the way Jesus has lived, they're not, their lives are not reflecting that, then what are they doing? Then they are living not in the truth, they are living a lie. See, their claim of special knowledge, they thought freed them from what they needed to do. They were not being obedient to God's commands found in the Bible. They were basically living that lie. And, and verse 6, 1 John chapter 2, verse 6, um, is, is powerful and is the statement for us how do we have a close relationship with God? How do we have that fellowship with God and, and as we learnt, that fellowship with our other believers? How do we have that? Well, we have it because we do something. Those who say they live in God should do what? They should live their lives as what? As Jesus did. And you know how we've been talking week after week year after year, about being fully devoted disciples of Jesus Christ, about learning the ways, the words, and the works of Jesus Christ. It's so that we can actually live as Jesus lived. Not necessarily wandering around in the desert, you know, in sandals and thongs and all those kind of things and going off to Israel, but actually the behaviour that he had, the way he interacted with people, the way that Jesus, you know, taught of the Father and spread the good news of Christ and the love of God out into the world how he corrected behaviour and how he shared his life with others. That's what it means that we live as Jesus did. You know, I love some of the churches that I know of, um, they, they have their mission statement as, as more people more like Jesus. You know, that, that's so important because that means that they are living their life as Jesus did. That's what it means to be obedient to actually be in that fellowship with God, to be in that relationship with God means that we live our life in obedience to God's commands. John then actually moves on from that first point about how do we know that someone is actually in that genuine fellowship with God as a true believer, as a believer that hasn't succumbed to this special knowledge. And he moves on and he moves into the second point, the second action, the behaviour, the second principle that we have. And it is this. First of all, genuine fellowship in God is found and can be seen in love. Genuine fellowship in God can be seen in love. And let me share with you the, the, the passage from the Bible from 1 John chapter 2, verses 7 through to 11, which is where we're going to end it for this week, but we're going to delve into that again just so that we can hear it for us and understand it for ourselves. 
So let's, let's listen to what John is saying again to the church and again to us, again to our, those who claim they are believers. Keep in mind that this is written as a defence against that special knowledge, against those who are claiming that they knew stuff that other people didn't. So John is preparing the church for the absence of leaders who were the apostles, is preparing them for what it means to move into the future and come back to the word of God and come back to who Christ is, come back to what Jesus taught and live that. So he comes here, he says, Dear friends, I'm not writing a new commandment for you. Rather, it is an old one you have had from the very beginning. This old commandment to love one another is the same message you heard before, yet it is also new. Jesus lived the truth of this commandment and you are also living it, for the darkness is disappearing and the true light is already shining. If everyone claims I am living in the light but hates a fellow believer, that person is still living in darkness. Anyone who loves a fellow believer is living in the light and does not cause others to stumble. But anyone who hates a fellow believer is still living and walking in darkness. Such a person does not know the way to go, having been blinded by the darkness. You know, John starts this little section with, with, with what you can think is an interesting statement, really. But if you hold that statement up there in terms of this combat against this rising Gnosticism, against the special knowledge, then it actually makes perfect sense of why he says it. So he's actually claiming that they need to love one another. That, and, and if you go, this is a new commandment, you go, well, this might actually sound like it's a special knowledge kind of thing. But it's actually, he's going, actually, it's an old commandment. It's been what's been taught. You know, what you've seen in Jesus, and he's, he's flowing it on from there. But he takes it further. He's not just going that this is just an old commandment that you heard and you just got to go and do it. He actually takes it and goes, actually, it's new, but it's new because of what Jesus has done. He's going, I'm not writing a new commandment to you. Rather, I'm giving you an old one. that you've had from the very beginning. It's not a special knowledge revealed to me, it's one that you should know. It's actually the very heart of who God is. We need to live in love. So how do we know if someone has a genuine fellowship with God? We know it because they live in obedience and they live in love. Yet what does it mean for us to live in love? What does it mean that this is the old commandment, yet it is new? How do we phrase love one another in all of this? What does it mean when, when John is talking about this old and this new? What does it mean that John embodies this old commandment but it becomes a new one, made new. And the first of those is this. And, and it's, it's what Jesus has done for us to make this new commandment. And he does, does it in three different ways. And the first is this. That there is actually no longer a limit 
on what it means to love one another, no longer a limit on love. Now, the old way of interpreting this command of was really how far should I go to express love to one another? You know, should it just be um, love of family? Should it be extended family? Should it be pushing it even further, love of our village, the place where we're growing up? How far do I have to extend my love? And, you know, the, the old way was to extend it only so far. But what we see when Jesus came and when he died on the cross, that he actually challenged this whole notion of what it means to love with a limited love. Jesus opened that up and said, this new love that I'm talking about is love for all. It's not limited, keep on going. It's not held back, keep on going. It's not a limited love. Jesus challenges this new love he's talking about is not one that we define. And, and the reason I'm saying this is that over many years, teachers of the law and all of those people who would um, try and define what it means, not necessarily to find a, a way out of, but just to make it really clear for them of how far they were meant to extend their love, you know, if you were to do these things. You know, and I remember back, Kerry gave a magnificent message, not, not necessarily about... Um, how far love goes, but just about the interpretation that um, biblical scholars, Hebrew scholars had of the day, and they would argue about whether, you know, go, going through Ivan or something else, you know, what it actually meant and how far should you go and whether you should, you know, do work on this. So many different laws there. But what we see... What Jesus does is challenges us to open ourselves up. Have we been living in the way of the old form of love where we restrict the amount of love that we are willing to give based on a few principles, whether it's family, whether it's extended family, whether it's your fellowship of believers, whether it's community, your community around you, where, how far do you extend love? So often I see within the world around us that people are willing to extend love only so far, yet love, Jesus is commanding us, is not limited. It moves beyond. That's the new form of love that we need to have. The second thing that Jesus does uh, that challenges us into this new commandment of love is the amount, the extent that love is given to one another. Do you remember the question um, back in, back in uh, the, the gospel accounts of Jesus where he was challenged on how, how, much, he should, how much people should um, forgive their um, brothers and sisters if they have hurt themselves, or if they've um, not hurt themselves, if they've create, sinned against them? You know, is it seven times? You know, how many times do I have to forgive um, and Jesus goes and gives what is an outrageous answer. No, it's actually 70 times 7, you know, or 700, depends on the way you interpret that. But in other words, you just going to say, take this and just continue to multiply it, make it bigger. The extent of the love is to go further. Not just limited, but go further, you know. And we see that 
Jesus took this extent of the love all the way to the cross. All the way to the cross for the sake of each and every one of us. Jesus made this new extent of loving one another even bigger. The third aspect that we have about what it means not to be found in the old form of this new commandment to love is to actually to... is to how much, to what degree is love realised? What degree is love realised within the community of believers? That is us. See, loving one another was the way of Jesus. It was also the mark of a genuine fellowship. How will we know that we are believers? How will we know that we are truly in a right relationship with God? It's our love for our brothers and sisters. It's our love for one another. See, love is meant to be the way of life for a disciple, a disciple of Jesus. Love is not something that we merely pay lip service to. Love, love, is, love is a verb. Love is an action that, that we do when we live out our lives. As John says, it's, if we are Christians, if we are a, a follower of Jesus, yet we do not show love, love to one another, then we're not being in genuine fellowship of God. So John is actually helping the church today. If we were willing to read this afresh and anew for us, willing to understand what it means to live in a genuine relationship, in genuine faith in Jesus Christ, what does it mean for us as our fellowship? What does it mean for us as our relationship with God? Well, it means that the one that we are going to be obedient to God's commands. We're going to be obedient to the way Jesus lived. We're going to become more like Jesus. But it also means that we're going to embody and live in love. Live in love for our brothers and sisters in Christ. Live in love to extend that love beyond and for all to the world around us. Next week we're going to, to, to actually delve into the rest of this chapter of of 1 John chapter 2, um, and we're going to be going from verse 12 through to the end of the chapter, and we're going to be really focusing on what is that third aspect of what it means that a defence against this Gnosticism. So I really want to encourage you to come next week and, and, and hear what, what, what John was saying to the church, how to protect yourselves how to understand what it means to actually have that right relationship with God. So let's just pray today. Oh, gracious, loving God, you challenge us. You challenge us when we read the Bible. You challenge us in the words that come to us. May your Holy Spirit open up again for us your words. May your Holy Spirit prompt us in our lives for those areas where we are not obedient, for those areas where we have limited love. Our Lord, we just ask today 
that you will speak to us. Speak to us through your word. Speak to us through your fellowship. Speak to us with your Holy Spirit. We pray this in your name. Amen.